0: Welcome to the story behind her success with Candy O'Terry, presented by Boston Women in Media and Entertainment. Sponsored by Tech Help Boston.
1: I can't wait to get into this interview. Seriously. I got a pitch from this PR woman. Her name is Lauren. She works for a publisher called Hatchet. She wanted me to interview this author, and here's what her first line was. I'm reaching out to tell you about a totally kick-ass woman who has an awesome book about women and men who need to get their shit together." Well, okay. So she got my attention. It turns out she's a wife, a mother of two, and a former attorney who woke up one morning and didn't want to go to work. In fact, she didn't even want to put one foot on the floor. And it was the way she felt that day that led her to a life-changing experiment which is outlined in her new and very entertaining book, it's called The Year of No Nonsense, How to Get Over Yourself and Get On With Your Life. She's got a lot to say, and her book just might help you reclaim your life. And by the way, she's also got a podcast series that I want you to remember. It's called The Same 24 Hours. Give it a try. Her name is Meredith Atwood. And this is her story. Meredith, welcome to the show. Thank
2: you so much for having me. Oh,
1: Lauren did such a good job of getting my attention (laughs) with that. I loved it. Take us back to the morning that you couldn't get out of bed. I was
2: the type of mom and wife and employee who always did what I was supposed to do no matter what. And this particular morning, I just didn't. I turned my alarm off and I went back to sleep. I realized that that was the first time in my life I had just not done anything anything i thought i was supposed to do so when i went downstairs to get my kids off to school they were already off to school because i had slept so late
1: mother guilt man Mother consuming. guilt consuming
2: right and then i saw pizza boxes wine bottles and unpaid credit card bills and empty ice cream containers sitting on the counter next to a note written by my husband that said you need to get your shit together And I thought, is this note for me? Like, you didn't mean to leave this for me, did you? Because I do everything I'm supposed to do all the time. And this one day I sleep in. What I realized when I looked to the right, I saw a poster board that I was supposed to help my daughter do her science fair project that morning. And I didn't even get up. I didn't even show up and come up with a reason why I couldn't help her. That was really an awakening for me. I knew that I did
1: indeed need to get my shit together. You know, I read in your book that there was a moment where you were starting to just, you took your phone out. You're starting (laughs) to text a message to this man who has the nerve to leave you this sticky note. Right. And that's when you saw the poster. That's That's right. I really did screw up. I did. I was a
2: wronged wife. Like, who did he think he was? And I realized he was right. And that's the only time I'll claim
1: that. (laughs) A a couple of things happened pretty quickly. You stopped drinking.
2: I did stop drinking. I had 20 years of alcohol under my belt. And I had proved to myself over and over again that I was not capable of having it in my life. Pretty quickly, not immediately after the note, but within a year, I did quit drinking. I'm four and a half years sober. A year after that, I quit practicing law because that was the next layer that needed to go away.
1: I have in my notes that decision where you decided not to practice law anymore. And I want to just talk a little bit about that for a second because you go to college and then you take those LSATs, you go to law school. It's hard. It's hard work. Right, right and then you get a job as an attorney, and (laughs) then you let it go. What was that decision like for you? I have to think it was hard, but maybe not.
2: It was hard to make the decision, but I sat in law school on the first day and knew I had chosen wrong. I knew the second I sat there that I was not where I needed to be, and I played that out through law school. I played it out through almost 12 years of practicing law. I tried, but at the end of the day, I had to ask myself, do I want to be in this profession another 40 years of knowing that this is not what I'm meant to do? It was hard to walk away. I had a side hustle for eight years before I did walk away. So a lot of people say, well, it must be nice to quit your job. Well, I was doing double duty. So (laughs) to be clear on that. But when I walked away, I knew I was doing the right thing. It was the first time I was listening to my voice.
1: Interesting when you talk about listening to that little voice inside your head, because I'm a huge believer in intuition. What made you stay though? And what made you stay in that classroom? I'm going to tell you a quick story just as an aside. My first husband had it in his head that I should be a real estate agent because he was a contractor. Now, I was a singer at the time. So, singer, real estate agent. I mean, they couldn't be more different if they tried. So, I signed up for a real estate class and I went to the first class. And in the middle of the class, they had a break, you know, a bathroom break. And I walked over to the guy who was running the class and I said, you can have your money back because I don't want to be a real estate agent or broker or whatever it is you call yourselves. Okay, but I walked away from that. Why did you stay in law school if it wasn't what made your heart sing?
2: You know what? Every time I hear someone tell a story like you just did, I just want to applaud you that you knew to walk away. I think I had not ever listened to my own intuition, ever. Wow. Ever. Uh I always did what made other people proud. I did what other people expected. That was how I lived my life. And as a 22-year-old sitting in law school, I didn't know any different. I heard the voice, and the voice said, suck it up. Your parents are proud of you. This is what you're supposed to do. You spent all this money. And I continued to live that because I had people that were very proud of me. I had people that expected certain things. And then, of course, when you get into practicing law, you have the golden handcuffs. The money is great. And so is the stress level and the incidence of addiction in the field. And there's all sorts of other terrible things that can happen in the practice of law. But I was very much doing what I perceived as expected.
1: You started looking inside yourself. And in your book, you call it almost like daily self-therapy. You made lists. The going well list and the thing that suck list. What did you discover along the way? Obviously, you decided the job was not what you wanted, but what else?
2: I realized that I was doing a lot of things to make other people happy, and that goes back to the people-pleasing. And when I made the list, I realized that the things that were not going well, the things that sucked list, those had to do a lot with other people. I was doing things for other people, not only my job, but the way I talk to people, the interactions, the favors I would do, all of these things for other people. Thankless tasks. Thankless tasks. Yes. And for what? You know, for what? And I also realized I wasn't happy with the way I felt. And I mean my body image. And I don't necessarily mean my size, although that was always the case for me. But learning that I didn't feel good. I felt sick. I did not feel healthy, I was tired, I was stressed. And and when you make a list, like literally try taking out a piece of paper and say things that suck right now in my life and see what you come up with. It will be very eye-opening. And then
1: you realize, well, maybe
2: I can do something about a lot of these.
1: In fact, you went to the doctor yeah. and the doctor took all sorts of tests yeah.
2: and said you're fine. Right. I felt so terrible, but what I realized is that when you are in a state of emotional despair and you are not living your authentic life, You are sick and you feel bad.
1: Thank God you have a great sense of humor because (laughs) I laughed out loud reading your book just to get ready for this interview. But to be honest, there had to have been tears with this kind of self discovery.
2: Oh, I was at the rock bottom of my new bottom. You drink for 20 years and that's a rock bottom. No, there's always more to discover. And in order to see the blue sky, you have to be laying flat on your back sometimes. And that's what happened. I mean, to go through this discovery and realize how far down the rabbit hole I had gone. Yes, there was a lot of tears. There was a lot of, I can't do this anymore. I can't continue. And and then you realize, yes, you can. Yes, I can. I can do better. Life is meant for more than what I'm doing. But yeah, it's painful.
1: Your focus through all of this introspection became around the word nonsense. How did you come to that and to begin to sort through the nonsense and learn how to leave it behind? I had a very tough year
2: in 2017. That word just popped into my head. I was having a frustrating day and I thought everything in my life is is nonsense. (laughs) Like it just popped in and I was like this person's nonsense and this relationship and these things I'm doing. It was like a magic eye poster from the 90s. It just popped out and I saw it. From there, I thought, well, let me look up this word nonsense and see what it means. And it's really interesting because nonsense is a person, place, or thing. It's a noun, which means that like anything in our life can be identified as nonsense, yes or no. And I just started categorizing everything in my life. Is this nonsense? Yes or no? And when I figured out something was nonsense, I thought, huh, what do I want to do about this? Do I want to keep it, put it on the shelf, get rid of it? I just started thinking, what if I had a year of no nonsense? That became the experiment. It's kind of a silly experiment when you think about it, but nonsense is a really silly word for some heavy stuff sometimes. We have lighthearted nonsense we're doing, like maybe eating a whole jar of peanut butter with a spoon. I mean, maybe that's nonsense, but then nonsense can be really dark stuff like childhood trauma and bad relationships and addiction. This is about figuring out what is subjectively nonsense to you and how you can start to get rid of it so you can live your best
1: life. You know, you have to be really brave to do that, don't you?
2: You have to be real with yourself. And I think that requires a certain level of bravery, but it really is just
1: looking at the truth. There's a couple things that happen along the way as well. You had mentioned before we even came into this room that as a younger woman, you were a weightlifter. (laughs) Yes. Can we go back to that for just one second? Because I want to talk about becoming a triathlete as well. So weightlifting on an Olympic level? Well, it's called Olympic style
2: weightlifting. So it's a type of weightlifting. And I did it at a national and international level. I started in eighth grade. I was always told I was very strong. I competed in weightlifting for years. And then after I went to college, I did nothing but drink beer and, and eat pizza. <laughs> so I gained a lot you, of weight.
1: Well, right. And when you build up all those muscles and then you're eating that kind of stuff, you will gain weight, right? Yeah, and then what happens to your body image? You're just huge. <laughs> you're very muscular and fat, you know, so I was just huge. And you met your husband in college. You said I
2: met my husband weightlifting. So we were both weightlifters and we were friends and, and we didn't start dating till college.
1: You became a triathlete. Yes. And that was really a pivotal thing for you in terms of your year of no nonsense.
2: Well, so it's actually a two-parter. So I became a triathlete first about 10 years ago. And that was kind of the thing that got me going because I was drinking so much. I was severely overweight. So that was kind of part one of my story. Like So I found triathlon. I got that together. I did four Ironmans. I became a coach, but I still had these other nonsense things. I still had the drinking and the law job. So finding movement and learning to exercise and doing triathlon is what started my kind of last decade journey.
1: When we started going back and forth to get ready for this interview and and I saw your triathlete thing, I was like, hi, I'm a master swimmer. (laughs) And the reason why I mentioned that to you is because swimming has always been a central part of who I am. And I love swimming because nobody can talk to me while I'm swimming. I'm just in my zone. I'm going back and forth. I can stretch my body out. I love the feeling of the water. I love everything about swimming. What does this sport of yours that you love do for your psyche?
2: Oh, the same thing. And so when I started triathlon, my kids were very young. They were one and two. And so that was the time that no one could get to me was in the pool as well or on the bike or out on the run. And so many of us forget that as parents or as whoever we are, that we need time for ourselves. And I was not having that time, whatever sport it is. Right now, I don't even do triathlon. I go to the gym and I run. Maybe I do the Stairmaster, but it's time to myself. Just like when you're underwater, no one can get to you. When I'm on the Stairmaster, no one's getting to me either. And it's crucial, crucial
1: for our emotional health. We have to get past our past to move into the present. And we all have baggage that we carry from our past. The losses of our childhood, the disappointments of our lives. How did you get over your past? And what did you need to let go of in order to move forward?
0: Please support our sponsors. They make this show possible. More than 30,000 families and businesses have trusted TechHelpBoston.com since the year 2000. Dave Elmazian, president of TechHelp Boston, with the reasons why. We like to establish a relationship with our customers, and the best way to do that is see them in their natural setting, so to speak, and that's in their home. We come to you, we work with you on your equipment in a setting that's comfortable for you, and also we can test better that way because if you have a printing problem or whatever and we bring it to a shop, it may work great in the shop, but it might not work in your home. So this way we know for sure everything is working the way that it should. TechHelpBoston.com. Their experts will come to your home or office to fix your computer same day, next day, and weekends too. Visit TechHelpBoston.com. That's TechHelpBoston.com.
1: It takes teamwork to put a weekly series like this together. I am so grateful to Jordan Rich and Ken Carberry for giving the story behind her success a home at Shark Productions. And to Dan Tebow, our editor from Fast Twitch Media. J.C. Valeris at Platinum Circle Media, who handles our social media marketing and so much more. Thank you all for making me look so good. I don't know if
2: you can ever get over entirely your past, but for me, it was about seeing my past for the truth of what it was. Because I think for so long, I tried to hide it, to pretend like this didn't happen, you know, just bury the feelings and emotions around it. When I learned to just see it, and then accept it, then I was able to move on from it. Because you can't change it. You can only change your perception of it. Getting over the past requires seeing it, acknowledging it, and then saying, hey, I can do nothing about that. I only have today, so let's get on with it. Is it almost like accept and release? I think so. And and certain people, and I think it depends what you're releasing, everyone has to go through their process. And so my book covers that as far as you've got to deal in the way you need to deal to move on, whatever that is, be angry, forgive, maybe you don't need to forgive, whatever it takes for you personally to be able to move forward.
1: You know, I know this might sound silly to some listeners, but I'm here to tell you it really did work for a very, very, very good friend of mine who experienced some really rough stuff as a child and had done years of counseling. And somebody one day said to her, go to a thrift shop and get a whole set of dishes and start throwing them. (laughs) And I give you my word, she went to a place where she literally had a whole thing of dishes and started throwing them at the wall and talking about the things that she'd lost and the hurt that she'd experienced. And she came away from that feeling, like I said, a release. Right. And you were just saying, do what you have to do. Right. But you have to examine it. Exactly.
2: And if you come from a childhood, for example, where you weren't allowed to feel where you were supposed to make everyone around you happy. <laughs> Not that I'm speaking of mine. we got to get you a set of dishes. <laughs> <laughs> gonna, you know, but when you finally speak that and you get to say, hey, I feel this way. This is my truth. Like throwing dishes and saying your truth. Of course, that's going to feel good. But, you know, other people who grew up with dishes being thrown at home probably don't you know want to do that. Right. You know, exactly. So you got to find what works for you.
1: When we change sometimes it makes the people around us a little uncomfortable because we're not the same old girl. Right.
2: I think all the time it makes people uncomfortable. We don't like change as a starting point, and people like to know what to expect. So when you change, I mean, people are going to be weird about it. And if you have people that are really in your corner and want what's best for you, they will notice that you're making a positive change, and they'll be okay with it. Sometimes the positive change requires getting rid of those people, and they may not like that so much. But that's, again, you know, you got to look at your life and determine what the bad wood is, and that includes people.
1: At what point in the year of no nonsense did you know that you had some traction, you were getting someplace?
2: About five months in, I just, because it got really hard, I thought this really fun experiment, getting rid of nonsense is going to be easy. And it got real very quickly because when I began to see the truth about things in my life and, and myself, I was like, oh, this is hard. This is bad. And I wanted to quit. And I thought this is exactly where you have to keep going, because when you are scared and you don't want to go forward, that means you're onto something and you got to have the courage to keep going. So pretty quickly.
1: <laughs> <laughs> when an obstacle is in your path, then how do you get around it?
2: Well, I love Ryan Holiday's book, The Obstacle is the Way. I mean, it's about stoicism saying that when something is in your way, that is the way. You look at that obstacle because that is there for a reason and you have to figure out a way through it, past it. And so looking at obstacles, I see them so differently now. I see that when something's in my way, that it's actually the way to get through it because it's going to teach me what I need to do personally to overcome it.
1: Do you remember that song from the 90s by Sophie B. Hawkins called As I Lay Me Down? Oh, yes. I interviewed her, and that's exactly what she said to me. She said, Candy, obstacles are opportunities. Yes, they And you are. believe that?
2: I absolutely do. I mean, in 2017, I had a big professional failure that I thought, this is the end. I don't know what I'm going to do now. I quit law and now this. And I am so grateful. Like, hindsight is a miracle, though, <laughs> because I sit here and say, I wouldn't be talking to you if that had gone well but when you're in the middle of it it's hard to see that the obstacle is the way but it's good to remember that
1: so here you are in the year of no nonsense and you're obviously journaling you're writing things down when did you realize there's a book here
2: i realized there was a book here when it was still fun so i pitched the publisher she said oh great it'll be you know lighthearted like your triathlon book and you know and i was like yeah yeah it's going to be just fun and a great experiment and so i i knew it was a book pretty quickly I didn't know the tone that the book would take.
1: (laughs) And by the way, everybody, you know, let's give you the name of the book one more time. It's called The Year of No Nonsense, How to Get Over Yourself and On With Your Life. The author is Meredith Atwood, and she's our guest today. Get the book, because honestly, Meredith, your voice in this book is what kept me reading. It's very honest. Oh, thank you. And funny. (laughs) Thank you. What has been the lesson here for you as you look back on it? I mean, I know that's a big question, but what's the lesson, Meredith?
2: The number one lesson in my life and in this book is that we are here to live our life. I think there's been so many times in my past where I just didn't see that, that I lived in the past or I lived for someone else. And I know that every day truly is a gift. And we have every opportunity every day to choose the life we want to live, but we have to choose to live, really, really live.
1: You know, your daughter is sitting here in studio with us, the one that you uh, you screwed up that uh, science project, (laughs) right, right. years ago. What do you tell her about what her dreams might be and how to live her best life? I just tell her, you know, at
2: the end of the day, it really is about doing what brings you joy and how you can help other people. If you're not feeling your life with joy, and I don't mean happiness, because I feel like that is kind of- Big difference between joy and happiness. Yeah, there's a big difference. But if you're doing what your heart says, hey, today's good, you're on the right path. And I will never put the pressure on her that I received. Never. Because fifth grade grades don't matter. And all of the things that we put pressure on ourselves about when we were younger, they don't matter. I just want my children and the next generation to see that we're here to live, to do our best, and to let the rest go.
1: Final question At this moment and at this time in your life, What does success mean to you?
2: Success means doing what I was put on this earth to do. It is not about money, because I'll tell you, some authors make money. (laughs) Some do not. It is about knowing that when I can share this story, that that is why I was put on this earth, because I have received emails and texts saying, thank you for writing this. You saved my life. And there's no amount of money that lines up to that. So success is sitting here with you and knowing I'm right where I'm supposed to be.
1: When they put that book in your hand, it must have felt pretty good. Yeah, it did.
2: It it felt very scary, too, though, because it's hard when you're holding the
1: truth. I want to say thank you so much. Meredith Atwood, the author of The Year of No Nonsense. Thank you so much for telling your story on the story behind her success. Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening to the story behind her success with Candy Oterry. This is a series with one goal in mind to shine the spotlight on women doing great things with their lives. We hope these weekly stories will motivate and inspire you. If you'd like to suggest someone for Candy to interview, she'd love to hear about it. Connect with her anytime on Facebook, Twitter, and her website, That's CandyOterry.com. That's C A N D Y O T E R R Y.com. You'll find all of these links in the show notes. What's your story?